New video of the attempt to arrest a suspect in the killing of a senior. Vancouver police face a hostile crowd taking a notable Strathcona Park resident into custody. Safety enhancements at BC schools. We've been learning what, what's been working and what hasn't been working. Why teachers say the new guidelines don't go far enough. And Skip the Dishes serves up a surprise. It is disrespectful to their consumers. The major backlash against its new BC surcharge on every bill. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC health officials have bowed to growing pressure and imposed stricter mask requirements for some students and staff in the province's schools. But as Richard Zussman reports, the BC Teachers Federation says the new rules don't go far enough and don't take into account the realities of today's classrooms. After months and months and months of teachers and parents asking, the province will now require non-medical masks in many BC classrooms. As we learn more about its behaviour, our school guidelines must evolve as well. Masks must be worn by all teachers from kindergarten to grade 12. Students in middle and secondary schools must wear masks. For some districts, that is grade 6 and up, others grade 8 and up. There are some significant exceptions. Masks are not required when sitting at a desk or eating or drinking, but are required in common areas in a classroom and when moving around the class or doing group work. We are not seeing transmission when students, teachers are in the classroom sitting at their desks. We know as well that it's a challenge for young people to wear a mask all the time. Mask wearing will not be required within cohorts at elementary schools, but it still will be recommended. The BC Teachers Federation says the plan is an improvement, but they're not giving government an A grade. We're still battling the misconception about what classrooms are actually like and how they function. And so students don't sit at desks like office workers. They sit at tables with other students. The changes also include kids to be masked when singing in music class and an encouragement to do high-intensity sports outdoors rather than in the gym. The BC Teachers Federation recently released an internal survey showing 58% of teachers feel unsafe at work. 87% were calling for teachers to be required to wear masks and 80% calling for students to wear masks either part of the time or full-time in class. So, will this announcement ease the anxiety? I think some of these measures will, will help somewhat. Uh, I don't think they go far enough to really alleviate the concerns that we're seeing. It's very important for, uh, for all of us that students, their families and staff feel confident with the safety measures that we have in place. A confidence based entirely on one thing, whether these measures can keep COVID-19 out of these schools. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A ban on cruise ship visits to Canada is being extended another full year until February 2022, all part of the ongoing effort to limit the spread of COVID-19 in our country. Aaron MacArthur joins us with the details on this. Aaron, and this is another major blow to a tourism industry that's already been hit hard. 
Yeah, the tourism sector has been hit hard and likely will be one of the last sectors to recover in all of this. But uh, you had to think this was coming. Cruise ships were a, a noted vector early in the pandemic and they continue to be. So the ban is in place until February of 2022. Uh, that means any ship over 100 passengers can't dock in Canadian waters and any ship over 12 passengers will be excluded from the Arctic. Now, it's a huge industry, as you said, in Canada, nearly $5 billion across the country pumped into the economy. It supports something like 29,000 jobs, and half of that money is in here in Vancouver. Each ship that docks at Canada Place brings in $3 million in direct income. A lot of that money, of course, spent at small businesses in and around Gastown. And for one small business owner, he's not going to be able to hang on until next year. And, uh, I mean, the big impact, tourism, lack of the, the cruise ships not coming in, convention center being closed, I mean, it's, it's definitely impacted us, especially in this area, just because we're so tourist-centric that, yeah, it's, it's knocked us on our butt. Uh, the restaurant Peckinpah will be closed uh, at the end of this month. Now, the Minister of Transportation can rescind this order if things improve in the pandemic, but that's not likely going to happen until later this summer or the fall. So expect the cruise season for 2021 to be cancelled. Chris, Sophie? Tough one for so many people. Thanks very much, Aaron. All right, let's take a look now at the COVID-19 numbers for the province today. We have 465 new cases. That brings BC's total to 69,243. Sadly, six more people have died. That means we have now lost 1,240 people to complications of the virus. 257 are in hospital, 76 in the ICU. 62,078 are considered recovered. We are now left with 4,447 active cases and nearly 7,000 people in self-isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for a look ahead to tomorrow. Big day, Keith. Dr. Henry mm -hmm. expected to talk about the current provincial restrictions and whether we are in for an extension and easing or perhaps a stepping up. Yeah, this public health order, which has governed our lives for well more than a month now, it expires at midnight tomorrow. This is the one that bans gatherings and events, banquet halls, in-house church services and such, basically confining yourself to only meeting with people of your own household. As I, as I said, it expires tomorrow at midnight. So does it get renewed or is it allowed to expire? When she extended the order on January 8th, she made it clear she wanted to take a look at the numbers before making the decision. Well, let's look at the numbers since January 8th. First of all, there's been more than 12,000 cases of a COVID detected since then. 254 people have died since then. Hospitalizations down uh, more than 100. That's good news. Our daily case number has dropped uh, from four, 582 to 426, a drop of more than 100. But Sophie, we're still at a very high number of daily COVID numbers, going from a little more than 500 to a little more than 400. Doesn't really represent uh, flattening the curve here. We've been at a high plateau for well more than a month, which mean, makes me believe that she's going to extend this health order for either 14 days, which is one incubation period, or two incubation periods, which is 28 days. That's what she did on January 8th. I'm betting that's what she's going to do tomorrow. That's at 10.30 tomorrow morning with both her and Doctor and uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix. We'll be carrying that live on BC1, of course, and on other global BC platforms as well. A lot of people will be paying attention to that one. All right. Thanks, Keith.
All right, one of the two men accused in the killing of Usha Singh made an appearance in court today. The men are accused of impersonating police officers to gain access to the senior's home near Queen Elizabeth Park. Singh was found gravely injured and died on Tuesday. Sarah McDonald now on what we're learning about the accused and the connection to the Strathcona Park encampment. As flowers adorn the doorstep of his alleged elderly victim killed in a violent home invasion early Sunday. That lady, she has no strength, please. Sandy Jack Parisian, seen here in foul footage from 2019, appeared in court on Thursday, charged with manslaughter in the death of 78-year-old Usha Singh, alongside his alleged co-accomplice, Pascal Jean-Claude Boutier, charged with second-degree murder in a homicide that's rocked two communities no jurisdiction here. in one city. Had they let us know what they were investigating, I don't think we would have elevated it to that level. Parisian, a friend of homeless rights advocate Chrissy Brett, arrested at the Strathcona homeless encampment Tuesday evening as a search warrant was lawfully executed and as officers faced opposition from residents on public property. And the crowd just kept getting bigger and bigger and our officers um, really did have some safety concerns. Now get you guys the f- out like we did with the police last night. City councillors met with a similarly hostile greeting on Wednesday. The fact that, that there have been deaths and uh, other and other kinds of crime by people who live in the homeless camp is not the responsibility of the homeless camp. That's the stigma those hearsay they're once again facing in light of horrific allegations involving one of their own, which they fear casts those living here for lack of anywhere else to go in the same light as a known convict turned alleged killer. Making the link is is completely artificial. All three levels of government have long called for solutions when it comes to rehousing the homeless with adequate resources, but tangible action is still sorely lacking. And that impacts housed residents like Gladys Lee, too, who want 10 cities and the criminal activity they so often accompany gone. I feel that the politicians are doing this over and over and over, and they're not transparent about the money. The province aiming to have the hundreds of people living here in new accommodation come April, as this resident will never return home. Both suspects accused in her senseless murder back in court later this month. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Police have identified 32-year-old Chris Kenworthy as the victim of a Wednesday night shooting in Burnaby. Kenworthy was found dead in his car after police responded to a report of gunfire in the 6500 block of Portland Street. The integrated homicide investigation team says Kenworthy was known to police and they believe he was targeted for murder. Kenworthy was previously sentenced to nine years in prison for manslaughter for a fatal shooting during a botched 2008 Surrey home invasion robbery. Following this killing and a string of other gang-related crime, the Burnaby RCMP have formed a specialized gang enforcement team. Over the last year in Burnaby, we've seen over a 30% increase in gang activity. There have been six stabbings, nine shootings, and three gang-related homicides. The goal of the gang enforcement team is to target criminal activity and reduce the risk to public safety resulting from the actions of these organized gangs. Homicide investigators released few details on another deadly shooting just a few hours later. It happened just before 7.30 in a home in the 108th Avenue 
and 139A Street area. Surrey RCMP officers arrived on scene and located a man and a woman inside a residence, both suffering from gunshot wounds. They were rushed to hospital where the woman, described as being in her 30s, died of her injuries. The man, in his 40s, suffered injuries that are described as non-life-threatening. Police say early indications are the shooting was not a random act. The integrated homicide investigation team is asking for any witnesses or people with dash cam video to contact them. Skip the dishes serves up a slap in the face. After BC put a cap on delivery fees, the company slapped a surprise surcharge on all orders in BC. The backlash next on the NewsHour. Technology driving change in the electric transportation industry. How the X-Row coil driver could be a major disruptor no matter what you drive. And researchers on the hunt for COVID variants. The race to isolate strains among thousands of samples. That's later. Right now, though, a lot of people are fired up tonight about a new surcharge on the popular food delivery app, Skip the Dishes. Yeah, among them is the head of BC's Restaurant and Food Services Association. He calls the move tone deaf, and he's not alone among BC's already hard-hit food sector. Ted Chernecki reports. There's so many new restaurants on Skip the Dishes, I decided to create my own smorgasbord board. The world's your oyster. Ooh. We've all seen those high-powered ads, often running during high-priced primetime TV. Business has never been better for food delivery services like Skip the Dishes, which makes that company's sudden introduction of a BC fee of 99 cents per delivery all the more interesting. It is only for BC and in direct response to the provincial government capping the amount delivery services can charge the struggling restaurant industry. New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they all capped the fees to 15% because they said, you're taking advantage of an industry that's not at full capacity. This industry is on its knees, so help them. Restaurants like Burgoo in North Vancouver say takeout and delivery now makes up about 50% of their business. And while no one wants more fees, they say Skip the Dishes has helped them open new opportunities. It's a trying time, but we are very grateful to still get our brand out there and still have, you know, locals and people still willing to um, support Burgoo and what we have. So we are thankful for the business that we do get through them. There's also a $10 minimum order just for BC. In a statement, Skip the Dishes says this is the first service fee Skip has ever implemented on our network of food orders, and it is a temporary one. It also states that it's needed so there's no impact to the service and support of all stakeholders. We know that people are trying to keep themselves safe, their community safe, and they're going to online ordering. And, uh, you know, and we know these companies are making a huge profits right now. And for them to do this at this time is, uh, I think, a really bad faith. And by the way, you only see the new fee after you order and it's really a dollar four because there's GST added and while it isn't likely to change anyone's ordering behavior the backlash has been surprising people in British Columbia really want to support British Columbia and see the resurrection of our economy and the moves just kind of go contrary to that tension global news Boundary Bay is one of the most scenic locations on the Lower Mainland, but you'll be surprised what's lurking right below the surface. Hundreds of illegal crab traps, many of them so-called ghost traps, abandoned or lost and likely to go on catching and killing crabs and fish for years to come. Nadia Stewart reports on the effort to clean them up. 
The Myotel, a Canadian Coast Guard hovercraft, launches out into Boundary Bay. It's the first time the Department of Fisheries and Oceans partnered with them using this vessel as a platform to conduct this kind of operation, hauling illegal traps from the ocean floor. If we don't know what's out there and there's a lot of illegal activity, that's unregulated, that's unreported, it's very important that we get these guys. Art Dembski is the detachment commander here in the Fraser Valley. A few times a year, he and his crew set out to nab illegally set crab traps. Okay, so there's a what's called a, a bait pot. So there'll be. A they found 337 traps during a five-day operation spread out over the last two weeks. Much of what they found was ground line gear, traps attached to a line that sinks to the bottom. From the surface, they're undetectable, but they're wreaking havoc on the ocean floor. A lot of them are, um, have their escape mechanisms tied shut. Over time, if these traps are abandoned or get lost themselves, they become what's called ghost fishing gear or ghost traps and they fish indefinitely because whatever goes in and gets trapped becomes the bait. This adds to an even bigger problem, overfishing. Dembski says operations such as this help to curb the problem, but they do need the public's help to identify those responsible. An investigation is now underway to find the owners of these traps, but given how much they've already found. We hardly touched the area we envisioned uh, searching. It's indicates that the problem is quite substantial and widespread. Expect more of these operations in the future. Nadia Stork, Global News. Straight ahead, Delta police under fire, spe- uh, under fire for spending on damage control. I'm like just shocked and sad that they had this whole team of people that they paid for. The woman sprayed with a hose by the police chief's wife reacts to new information about how the force handled it. Also tonight, the former chairman of the BCLC board and what he thought about those stacks of cash piling into BC casinos. Southbound traffic at the Lionsgate Bridge is finally starting to recover after clearing an earlier police incident at the south end. If you're just leaving now, give yourself extra time or head over to the iron workers instead. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A lot of questions tonight in Delta following a bombshell spending revelation. That's right. Critics are questioning why the Delta Police Department paid a PR firm $42,000 amid a scandal involving the police chief's wife. Now the woman who brought it forward, brought forward the complaints against Lorraine Dubord is speaking out over what she says is an outrage. Catherine Urquhart reports. Delta Police spent $42,000 of taxpayer money on a crisis management team amid an investigation into Chief Dubord's wife, Lorraine. The department revealed that on Wednesday after initially refusing to disclose the information. I'm shocked and sad that they had this whole team of people that they paid for to support them through this process and how to navigate it, and I was doing it all by myself. Last summer, Kieran Sadu says she was hosed down by Lorraine Dubord outside Dubord Centennial Beach home after the Surrey resident climbed the rocks in front of the house to avoid an incoming tide. An investigation by an outside police force recommended alternate measures for Dubord, meaning no criminal charges. 
Now that large PR bill is prompting questions, especially since Delta PD has its own media relations team. We'll be asking our council if we can get some answers to these um, questions from a council point of view under our, our purview um, to ensure that we are as I say, maintaining the highest standard we can. Delta police say the PR contract was set up by former Deputy Chief Norm Lipinski and that he consulted directly with the firm they refused to name. Lipinski is now Chief of Surrey Police Services, which did not respond to questions. As for Sidhu, she says she recently received a card from Lorraine Dubord more than six months after the incident. It didn't feel authentic when I got it. So I, and I still don't think it's authentic. And I really wonder if perhaps the PR team helped her write it. One person who might know is Delta Mayor George Harvey, who also chairs the police board. So far, he has not responded to questions. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Testifying today at the Cullen Commission, the former board chair of the BC Lottery Corporation, who says he always thought that some of the piles of suspicious cash flowing through B.C. casinos were tied to crime. And as John Hua reports, he said he believes government knew it too. When British Columbia first got into the gambling business, Bud Smith said cash tied to crime was a common concern. If you get involved with gaming, you can bring it in. You're going to attract all these bad elements. A former B.C. Attorney General would later become the chair of the Lottery Corporation's Board of Directors in 2013. As massive amounts of suspicious cash started flooding into casinos, Smith told the Cullen Commission it stoked the same old fears. When you've got that much cash floating around, some of it is going to be sourced inappropriately, some of it is going to be used inappropriately. So did Smith, as BCLC's highest point of contact with the province, raise the issue that proceeds of crime might be entering BC casinos? I would be amazed if government wasn't aware of that, whether I told him or not. In 2015, Smith would meet with then-Finance Minister Michael de Jong about how to address the problem and whether that should include sourcing the cash across the board. A move BCLC stated could result in hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue. It would be important to make sure that the minister understands that is is the outcome. Contrary to previous testimony from BCLC CEO Jim Lightbody, That direction to not source cash based on a dollar amount was confirmed by an associate deputy minister. Smith told the commission he went to Victoria and heard it straight from de Young. We want to go from away from the risk-based approach to a dollar-specific approach. And he said, I do not want you to go to a dollar-specific approach. That approach wouldn't be adopted until January 2018 by a new provincial government resulting in the number of suspicious cash transactions at BC casinos to fall off a cliff. No one asked or directed or suggested that we should stand by and stand down from our responsibilities in order to increase revenue to government. Despite that position or who was leading government, Smith told the Cullen Commission he would offer both ministers de Young and later David Eby the same advice. Maybe it's time BC got out of the high-stakes casino game. He, uh, as with his successor, ignored my brilliant idea. So aside from decades of concern around possible links to crime, another thing remains consistent. When it comes to high-limit casinos, this province has no plans to cash out. John Hua, Global News. 
Up ahead, racism in healthcare. We're dealing with such substan substantial inequality in terms of accessing services. How poorly Indigenous patients are treated and recommendations to improve the system. Also coming up, the massive donation that puts BC at the forefront of lung cancer research. Traffic is steady both ways at the Massey Tunnel, but a reminder that crews are working southbound on Highway 99 near Ladner Trunk during the overnight hours with lane closures in effect. Get 0% financing for up to 84 months, plus $8,000 in government rebates on the all-electric 2020 Bolt EVLT. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A collaboration is underway at research labs in Toronto. Scientists turning their focus to understanding COVID-19 variants before they get out of control. Global's Catherine Ward speaks with a team that has developed a new way to test for variants quickly and why they feel the process should be rolled out across the country. The window is closing. We know there's community spread. Um, there's an urgent need for us to go find these variants. Within the marathon of the pandemic, a sprint has been happening in labs across the world to understand and track variants. And we need a different approach to go after and find them, find every single one of them. And, and then respond to it. And that's really where this technology comes in. The technology developed here at the Lunenfeld Tenenbaum Research Institute at Sinai Health System was not originally intended for COVID-19, but senior investigator Jeff Rana quickly realized it could be pivoted to detect variants with speed and accuracy. So it's kind of like if you're reading Lord of the Rings and you want to find out what happened, what did Frodo do with the ring? Uh, you just focus on the one chapter where Frodo throws the ring into the fire. The bottom line? Researchers can quickly zero in on the genetic code to see if a variant of concern is present. More samples can be tested, more variants can be found, and those results can get back to public health officials faster than traditional sequencing currently being used. You concentrate the, the problem down to just sequencing a handful of strains of samples instead of trying to sequence you know, thousands of samples. This process was used to detect the first positive case of the South African variant last week. It really demonstrated the urgency at which this kind of approach and this kind of technologies need to be put in place. Waters is calling for the platform to be rolled out on a larger scale so every positive case of COVID-19 can be tested for variants. It certainly is a technology that can be ported out. It could be applied in other parts of Ontario. It can be applied in other parts of Canada and, and really around the world. It's this ability to get variants under control that these researchers believe will ultimately shape what life will look like in the days and weeks to come. And so we have two options. We can go out and find them now and try and, and, and put in additional measures to stop those variants. Or we can wait until the variants take over and then force society into an even stronger lockdown than we're in now. Catherine Ward, Global News. British scientists will launch a new study to see if they can mix and match COVID-19 vaccines. Right now, the, vaccines, or the vaccine requires two doses of the same kind just a few weeks apart. Guidelines in Britain and the U.S. say vaccines aren't interchangeable but can be mixed if the same one isn't available. The U.K.'s study will give participants one shot of the AstraZeneca vaccine followed by a dose from Pfizer. 
A new report by independent investigator Mary Ellen Terpelafond is providing a clearer picture of the prevalence of systemic racism in BC's healthcare system and the huge toll it's taking on the health of Indigenous and First Nations people. And as Rumina Dea reports, two recent cases also illustrate how much work still needs to be done. Sarah Morrison suffered an unimaginable loss. The Heisla mother's baby, stillborn last week, after she was turned away from hospital in Kitimat due to racism, says her uncle. Dustin Gaucher now questioning why no one has reached out with crisis counselling. She's not doing good at all. And again, please, somebody that has counselling training that is not Someone with a heart, please just come and talk. We have to respect confidentiality and privacy, but uh, obviously if those requests are being made, I'll be following up on that personally. The health minister answering questions about the case at a news conference detailing a deeper dive into Indigenous racism in BC healthcare. And I do think it is very important to recognize that with the experience that First Nations and Métis people have had, there is trauma and there is a need to receive support, but there's also a need to receive care that is actively anti-racist, is culturally safe, and appreciates that when a First Nations or Métis person is going to seek care, they may have had bad experiences in the past. The report states Indigenous patients are 75% more likely to visit the ER than anyone else in BC. A lack of preventative medicine leading to higher cancer rates, less prenatal care and twice as many overdoses for First Nations women. Earlier this week, healthcare officials apologized to the New Hulk Nation after more than 200 doses of COVID vaccine were pulled from the remote Indigenous community. Together we can direct the change that will give people in BC the confidence that when they arrive at the doors of our healthcare system, they will be seen as they are. Adrian Dix says a new associate deputy minister will lead a task force which will take immediate action on 24 recommendations. In Morrison's case, Northern Health has launched a review. We need mental health support. What my my niece has been through, it's going to follow her around forever. Ramina Dea, Global News. The B.C. Cancer Agency says a massive new donation will put it at the forefront of international research into the number one cause of cancer-related death. As Linda Ellsworth reports, the agency says the multi-million dollar injection of funding will allow it to begin immediate work to make a difference in treatment and survival of lung cancer. The number of non-smokers developing lung cancer is on the rise. As many as 25% of those who develop the disease have no risk factors. Two years ago, David soon became painfully aware of that fact. I was only 46 years old, never smoked, was in good health, and never had any of the other risk factors. And so the Burnaby father of two thought he had no reason to worry. He was wrong. It started out as a persistent cough, thought initially to be pneumonia quickly spiraled to a stage four lung cancer diagnosis. One problem is that there are no routine lung cancer screening programs for non-smokers, but that might soon change. The Leon Judah Blackmore Foundation has donated $15.3 million to the BC Cancer Foundation. 
It's the largest known philanthropic donation specifically aimed at advancing lung cancer research. Never before have we seen this monumental level of investment to accelerate our research. The money will go towards things like developing better screening methods, treatments, and learning why lung cancer rates among those at low risk are increasing. Through our research in air pollution, breath research and microbiome research, we will develop new therapeutics to cure lung cancers and stop tumor resistance to drugs. Lung cancer does not typically attract the necessary empathy and consequently funding because of the stigma that it's only a smoker's disease. Which is why the $15 million infusion of funds to the BC Cancer Foundation is so unique and so important. Today's announcement is such a game changer. Detecting lung cancer at stage one or two instead of three or four will give many patients the real possibility of long-term survival. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Just ahead, BC Tech that could be a game changer for electric vehicles. Our mission statement is minimum energy, maximum results. From bikes to buses and everything in between, why the XRO smart coil driver is poised to disrupt how we get around. And coming up in sports, NFL star Chase Claypool reflects on his stellar rookie season and his newfound fame and fortune. Do you guys remember how awesome yesterday was? I do. Sunshine. Cool looking clouds. Sky. Cool clouds. I yeah. know that always gets you going. <laughs> I only saw it on TV. I don't it's, know. It's like a fingerprint in the sky. It's called Alticunus undulatus, and it was actually spotted right around the lower mainland today. Or, sorry, pardon me, yesterday, the nice day. Uh, so it's this high-level cloud uh, that has basically two different layers in it, and one layer is going faster. It creates this wind shear, and so a little bit of a wave action. And it kind of reminds me of when the water goes out if you're on mud flats or out towards White Rock, sort of your bay and the water goes out and the, it's that sort of pattern is left in the sand um, or you might get that as ripples in the water but anyways great shots thank you to everyone who shared them with us look at them really cool all around the region I love this one as well from South Langley and one more literally like a fingerprint in the sky. All right, let's talk about snow. We've got snowfall on the way for the mountain passes. There is a snowfall warning for Coquihalla, Allison Pass. Bulk of that will be overnight, but we'll still see heavy amounts through the early part of the day tomorrow. And we're expecting snow over lower elevation regions, about two to six centimeters as that system cruises across the region overnight. So that includes sort of the Columbia Kootenai region. Now, tomorrow, generally not a bad day. We still do have a slight chance of some cloud cover, slight chance of a bit of drizzle. So we're not totally in the clear tomorrow, but brighter, drier compared to what we saw today. Then another one rolls in Saturday. We're back to wet weather. We'll see snowfall for inland regions. I want to point out late Sunday, though. We have cold air that's going to usher in a little bit of lingering moisture. So the timing of that cold air, the lingering moisture, that's what we're watching late Sunday. So heads up on that. Make sure you tune back in for the potential for snow a late Sunday into our Monday. In the meantime, enjoy a bit of sunshine tomorrow. Tomorrow's really the lighter uh, of the days compared to today and what we'll see on Sunday and uh, or pardon me and what we'll see on Saturday so a little bit of cloud cover but not too much at all Uh, but overall we are looking at wet weather on Saturday with that chance of snow late Sunday and here's your central windows weather window also another shot from yesterday with a beautiful sun halo beautiful thank you all right Squire is here now what you got for us Squire what just happened to the Canucks in Toronto if you're a Leafs fan you'll love it uh, Chase Claypool had a huge rookie season with Pittsburgh. What does the Abbotsford product need to do to have a good sophomore season? 
consistency and uh, production is going to be my two main things that I'm going to have to stay on top of for next year. And if he can repeat last year, next year, the Steelers will be very happy with him again. Fun to watch for sure. Also a BC company powering change in the EV industry, signing a new deal with a motorcycle maker coming up. It was an ominous tease from Squire about the hockey game tonight. Let's see what's going on. Ugh, man. Uh, well, there is no defending the Canucks' defense. <laughs> I don't even know if they have any defense. And I don't just mean the defensemen. I mean the entire team. The Canucks look like game show hosts. They are constantly giving away gifts. Tonight, the uh, Leafs were the lucky contestants, and the Canucks were so generous. They gave 37-year-old Jason Spezza his first hat trick in five years. Oh, they looked like they were ready. They had their uniforms on correctly. Austin Matthews would score the first goal for Toronto. Right by JT Miller, who actually is not a defenseman, so it was Quinn Hughes caught up ice. That made it 1-0. Canucks tie it, though. Just keep banging away at the puck, and finally Tanner Pearson, who had five shots on goal, gets this one to go in, so it's 1-1. Jason Spezza. When I heard he scored, I thought, who was the assist from? Danny Heatley? Remember, he was drafted by Ottawa in 2001. He's still going. Austin Matthews, whoops. Thatcher Demko never saw that. One more look, nice pass by Mitch Marner. That made it 3-1 for the Maple Leafs. But the Canucks got close again. Marner kind of gives the puck away here. And then a nice pass from Miller to Bo Horvat. He's been quiet after a pretty hot start, but he gets this one to go in. So now it's 3-2. Does that give the Canucks life? No. It gives Jason Spezza more life. Three on two. It's Spezza. That is like when he played for Ottawa. Four two. And then a nice pass here. Riley, William Nylander, John Tavares. Five two for Toronto. That's after two periods. Third period, Jason Spezza. The fountain of youth was apparently in his Gatorade bottle. 6-2, that's three for him. Miller makes it 6-3, but this isn't the start of a comeback. Let's just pad in the stats because there's one more. This time it's Mitch Marner. 7-3 the final, and they've got two more in Toronto. The second one's on Saturday. You might remember, we were at Chase Claypool's family home the night he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Five minutes after the Steelers took him, he got a phone call from Pittsburgh quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, who told Chase he was glad the Steelers drafted him out of Notre Dame. And Claypool showed Roethlisberger is not just a great quarterback, but he also is a very good eye for talent. With the 49th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Pittsburgh Steelers select... Chase Claypool, wide receiver, Notre Dame. He was a mid-second round pick and the 10th receiver to go in last year's NFL draft, but Chase Claypool showed almost immediately the Steelers made the steal of the draft. Highlighted by a four-touchdown game against the Eagles, Claypool put up outstanding numbers, breaking the franchise rookie receiving record for catches with 62 and tying a couple of others, touchdown receptions with nine and total touchdowns by a rookie with 11. You know, it's tough to imagine, you know, picturing this and, and forecasting and this 10 months later, you know, from the time getting drafted to now. 
But uh, it's definitely been a whirlwind of experiences, and I'm grateful for every experience I've had in the NFL. The trick now will be to back it up next season. He knows the expectation will be there from the team and the fan base. Playing in football crazy Pittsburgh has its ups and downs, as Claypool found out in a hurry. When you're winning, everyone loves you, and if you're losing, everyone hates you. So um, that's nothing new, you know. That's, you know, the, my, all my life, um, except maybe like peewee football. To have a fan base that cares so much about the team, um, I don't think it adds pressure, but maybe it just adds like some motivation. Claypool has become a fan favorite in Pittsburgh because of his knack for making those athletic catches and, of course, all of that instant production as a rookie. And he's parlayed that into some extra income from endorsements both in Canada and in the U.S. Being able to partner with a couple different brands in a couple different sectors, I guess like health, fitness, um, media, like the zone, um, apparel like Jordan. So um, it's definitely picked up. He's enjoying the perks, but knows it will all go away quickly if he doesn't put in the work to keep his NFL stock on the rise. He's home in BC right now, but will be off to California in a couple of weeks to start training for the 2021 season. Consistency and uh, production is going to be my two main things that I'm going to have to stay on top of for next year. Um, you know, two things that are going to keep you in the league. So just working on the little nuances of the game in the offseason uh, to allow me to do those two things. It's usually a big party for this golf tournament, but they're only allowing 5,000 fans. So it's not quite the drunken barbecue with a golf tournament at it. Waste management. Matthew Neesmith on the famous 16th, which is a lot quieter this year. Almost an ace. He's at 800 par. Tied for the lead with Mark Hubbard. Uh, Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford. We got Chase Claypool from Abbotsford. Now Adam Hadwin. He's uh, tied for 12th at 467. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford. One under 70 tied for 50th. It's all about Abby today. It's a good place. It is. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We'll have more tonight on Ottawa pulling the plug on Canada's cruise ship industry for another year and the impact of that uh, announcement. They'll have the uh, economic fallout. Plus, new, develops, uh, new developments tonight in the case of a man accused of hosting a series of club nights in his penthouse suite. He launched a fundraiser to help pay his legal fees, but that didn't last long. We'll explain those stories and a lot more coming up tonight at 11. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jay. And coming up here, better technology built in B.C. to give electric vehicles a bigger boost. That's next. A B.C. tech company has developed a revolutionary new way to control the power and efficiency of electric motors. Xro Technologies is on a mission to transform transportation in almost any form. And they've recently signed a couple of partnerships to accelerate their growth. Motor within a powertrain controlled by Xro's smart coil driver can repeatedly... Xro Technologies believes it will revolutionize the performance of electric cars, trucks, bikes, and anything else with a motor. You're going to be able to now go up that hill at speed. You're going to be able to have something go farther on a single charge. So really our mission statement is minimum energy, maximum results. 
Xro says its patented smart coil driver drastically improves the efficiency of electric motors. It functions like a gearbox or transmission, but without the complexity or added weight. And when Cleveland-based Land Moto heard about it, they signed a deal to put the technology in their upcoming lightweight electric motorbike. We've been trying to do uh, vehicles that have uh, increased range, increased speed, and increased performance. And, you know, it's like you can off, often get two of the three things. It's the old kind of salesman joke, right? You can have two, you can't have three. Ah, but Extro wants to prove you can have all three. And motorbikes are just one part of a much larger plan to shift to emission-free mobility in all its forms. Our e-bike is really a disruptor for the industry. It can translate into motorcycles, can translate into passenger cars, into fleet trucks, buses. Applications for the smart coil driver are endless. LA-based Sea Electric converts fleet vehicles to electric power with hundreds on the road around the world. It will test the XRO technology in its trucks this summer. XRO allows us to get better performance out of the electric motor and to, to be able to move more payload. The cost of the component hasn't been finalized yet, but standard coil drives range from hundreds to thousands of dollars, depending on the power demand required. XRO's customers believe they'll make the cost back easily. So it's, it's a very smart technology. With offices in Vancouver and Calgary, XRO believes it's poised to make Western Canada a major player in the transition to electric transportation, no matter what you drive. Very cool. Pretty cool stuff. All right, before we leave you tonight, we want to say goodbye and good luck to one of our longtime cameramen, Carl Castleman. Carl, we can't believe you're leaving us. After nearly four decades in the business, Carl kicked off a well-deserved retirement this week. He's been part of almost every major news event in this province during his time as a shooter here. And while his dedication and talent speak volumes, what probably says the most about Carl is that everyone always wanted to work with him because he was simply the best. And just fun to hang out with, yep. Carl. Heck of a career. We're going to miss you so much. I am still in denial. <laughs> but if you have to go, please enjoy your retirement. Also, don't go. Those road trips will never be the same. Nope. They will never be the same. Carl, you will be dearly. He was missed. an artist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was. And, and always had a smile. Always. Yeah. Hard worker. We miss you, Carl. Thank you very much. And uh, why don't we just end it on that note? Yeah. Thanks for a great, great career, Carl. And thank Thanks, you for Carl. watching. Good night, everybody. <laughs>